And now we have the great privilege, the wonderful privilege of hearing from him in the scriptures. And so if you would please turn in your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Uh, We are fast approaching the end of this wonderful letter. For those of you who are visiting, uh, we like to, uh, well, we like the Bible. (laughs) And and we like uh, going through, verse by verse, through the scriptures. Uh, We've been, for the last couple of years now, working our way through this incredible letter uh, that Paul wrote to the Romans, and we are almost at the end of this journey. It's been a wonderful journey. I hope that it's been a blessing to you. I hope it's been as much of a blessing to you as it's been to me uh, and to our elders as we've been working our way through uh, this letter. Our God is amazing, is he not? And he is full of amazing grace that he has given to us. And so we just continue to relish, continue to savor uh, every word that he has spoken uh, as, we are, uh, as we come face to face with who he is and come face to face with who we are uh, as those who have been saved by his grace. Uh, if you're there at Romans 15, say, I'm there. Yeah. All right, Romans 15, beginning at verse 14, uh, Paul writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written in Isaiah 52, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. And now let's pray that God would give us wisdom and insight to understand and to uh, hear and to heed all that he has spoken here. Let's pray. God, you are indeed great. To you alone be all of the praise, for you alone are worthy. Speak to us today. Lord, I pray that 
that your heartbeat would be our heartbeat, that, that we would be in rhythm with your pulse. Lord, that your mission would be our mission. That we would not live our lives for anything else except to make Christ known. To know him and to make him known. To spread a passion for others. To join in with us in treasuring Christ above all things. Father, I, I realize that that, that pulse may not be the pulse of, of some who are here today. There are some who wonder why we go. There are some who wonder why we, we engage in such a messy life. Why we take the risks that we do. Why we put ourselves in harm's way like we do. Why can't we just be normal? Why can't we just be ordinary? Lord, you have called us to something greater, even in the midst of the ordinary. The ordinary can be extraordinary when it is on mission for Christ. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would do what only he can do. Move with power. Change minds. Change hearts. Change lives. Connect us with Christ. May we live all of our days with one mind, one ambition for him and for his kingdom. We ask big things because you're a great God and you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So magnify your name among us through the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Who knew when Gene Roddenberry wrote those words back in the 60s that that would spark this this revolution. <laughs> All of a sudden, a new term was, was coined, Trekkies. And all of a sudden, you have people with Klingon ears and, uh, or Vulcan ears. I'm sorry, all you Trekkies. I don't, I, I don't know what I'm talking about here. But, but, these, but these Vulcan ears and walking around telling people to live long and prosper, right? How, by the way, how many of y'all can do that? How many of y'all... Yeah, look at y'all, yeah, yeah. All the others, you know, it'll come eventually, um, once you're older. But, but yeah, we, we all have the, uh, we've all experienced this. We've all seen this, right? We, we, we know this. I know some of y'all may be bigger fans of Star Trek than, than I personally am. I'm not against it or anything. There are just too many franchises right now. Um, but, but, but we love that, that, that idea, that, that mission, right? It was a groundbreaking series back in the 60s. Not as much now with all the little spinoffs and everything that have come now as it was back then, but back then it was groundbreaking. Here you were, right in the throes of the 1960s, right in the throes of chaos and, and upheavals and all of these things that were going on, and here you have this group, this fleet on the Starship Enterprise that are going to different worlds 
and are meeting different people, different creatures, different whatever they were, and, and, and they were learning how to coexist. They were learning how to live life together uh, as different people. What, what do you call them? These folks from different aliens and all these. How, learning how to live life in this strange new world. They had a mission. And the mission was to go. To go where no one has ever gone before. And to seek out new life. To seek out new civilizations in order to make the universe a better place. As you can imagine, Star Trek was rather revolutionary because it pictured, through science fiction, this multicultural, diverse world that we actually live in in reality. If you didn't know that, that's exactly what they were trying to do. They were using science fiction to say, hey, we actually can live in the world with people that are different from us if we're willing to boldly go. Well, long before the 1960s, long before Roddenberry thought about Kirk and Spock and Doc and all of these other folks that he had there on the Enterprise, there was another mission that was spelled out in very clear words. A mission that God, the Almighty, gave to his people. In those last words from our Lord, he spoke as the risen Lord at the end of Matthew 28. He told his people to boldly go. To the ends of the earth. To go to the nations. To go to people that are different than the Jewish group of guys that were there. To go and to claim a much better uh, uh, message, a much better word. There is the possibility of people gathering together as one. There is a possibility of people from every tribe and every nation and every language coming together as one family with one heart and with one mind and one purpose. It is possible, but it doesn't happen on the enterprise. It happens in the kingdom kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. He and he alone is the one that can reconcile us to God. He and he alone is the one that can reconcile us to each other. This one has given us the command to boldly go, to take this message to the nations, to take this message to our neighbors, and to proclaim to everyone. Christ has come, and Christ has died, and Christ is risen, and Christ has ascended, and Christ will soon return. This is good news. But perhaps you're here and you're wondering, really have to go? I mean, it looks kind of weird, doesn't it? Some of you experienced this during your, your Thanksgiving uh, uh, feast. How many of you all had folks that were at your Thanksgiving table that, that don't know Christ? Anybody? You, you visited family or someone, and you had folks who don't know Jesus. A lot of you raised your hands. And you may have felt the apprehension there. Do I really need to tell them about Jesus? Do we really need to have that conversation? 
with all of its awkwardness, right? With all of its discomfort and everything. Do we really need to have that conversation? Can't we just eat and, and, and watch the lions lose and, and, and all of that? I really, Hunter, I really, really wanted to say watch the cowboys lose, but they completely messed up my illustration here, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty upset about that. But anyways, um, you know, can't, can't, we, can't we just, you know, can't we just you know, have a wonderful time together? Why do we have to make things weird and make things awkward by telling people about Jesus? Maybe you feel that on the job. Maybe you feel that, some of you, with your children. Maybe you feel that with other family members. Maybe you, you even think about that when it comes to missions. Why in the world do we go across the world telling people about Jesus? And not only telling them about Jesus, we actually then start telling them how they should live their lives, right? Some of you may even wonder as us, with us as a local church why we gather together and why we, we hold to things like a church covenant. You know, why, why we say this is what we expect of one another in terms of our lifestyle and our behavior and things like that. Why are we meddling in people's lives? Why are we, you know, why are we talking about how you're supposed to live and what choices you're supposed to make and what God you should worship and all of these different things? Why can't we just let sleeping dogs lie? Why must we be engaged in this kind of stuff? And you know, I look at this passage and I see Paul kind of having that same conversation. <laughs> Paul's talking to the, uh, uh, to the Gentile Roman believers. And as he's talking to them, he says, hey, I realize that I've said some things that, that may have been a little uh, unusual. He says in, in verse uh, 15, he says, some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. I've said some things pretty boldly. I've, I've, I've said some things that, that you may wonder, you know, are you kind of overstepping the line a little bit? I think what he's referring to here is what he's been talking about from chapter 12 all the way up to this point. He's been giving them instructions for how they should live their lives. Let me, let me review a few. 12, he says, should I change mics? Do I need to? Do I need to switch? Okay, okay, I can switch. Ah, here we go here. By the way, that is the sign that I'm getting older is when I can bend down and go, ah! Um, how's this? This better? We're good? Okay, so in chapter 12, Paul starts talking, and he starts saying, here are the implications of the gospel for our lives. And he says there, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, your whole life is now a sacrifice to the Lord. Your whole life is offered up to him. Lord, you have everything. All of me is yours. And then he says, in so doing, we can't be conformed to the world, verse 2, but we are to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the, good of, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We don't fit into the mold of the world, but rather we've got to change the way we think. We have a mind transformation, a, a renewing of our mind. We think about the world, the way we see the world, the way we understand the world is different. It's not like the way it was for us growing up. We're different people now. We, have a, we live in a different reality. We, we live under the rule of King Jesus, and it affects the way that we live. But not only that, but notice he also says in uh, verses 3 and following, uh, 3 through 8 to be specifically, 
that in the way that we think, we are not the center of everything. It's one of our problems as humans, right? We think we're at the center of everything. You're not at the center of everything. You are, uh, are actually really, really in the scope of the universe. You, you're rather minuscule. And God has called us then to think of ourselves not as little individuals where everything revolves around us, but rather think of yourself as a part of a body, the body of Christ. And as you are a part of the body, God has given you by his Holy Spirit gifts and, and talents and so on so that you can serve one another and edify the body for good one another and for the glory of Christ. And so that's what we do. Another, we 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 live together in in harmony and everything, not full of ourselves, but but full of God's spirit and full of each other as we love one another. And that's exactly where he goes after that. We we love differently. We we love in a genuine, unhypocritical way. We 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 hate what is evil. We cling and hold fast to what is good. We serve one another. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We don't take offense so easily. We're not trigger happy when it comes to our, our, our anger and our frustration with one another. That's how we live, but rather we love one another. We serve one another. We help one another. We forgive one another. That's what he says in the rest of chapter 12. It has implications for how we live in the govern, uh, under the government, as uh, in verses uh, uh, 1 through 7 of chapter 13 tells us. We, we, we submit to the government. We actually pay taxes. We actually follow laws. Most of the time, we follow the speed limit. We, we, we obey, you know, all of the, 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 the rules and the regulations that the government gives us. We try to stay above board in our businesses. We, we, we try to make sure that we follow the laws of the land. That's what we are called to do. And then notice we also, again, he says, we love one another. We owe nothing to anybody except to love one another. The idea of being faithful uh, when you have debts and things like that, you're faithful to pay off those debts. You're faithful to do... Uh, um, what you have said you're going to do in terms of paying people back. If there's one thing we're going to owe, it's not money, it's love. We care for one another. We fulfill the law when we love one another and so on. And we do so recognizing that time is short. The day of the Lord is coming. We don't get engaged in sinfulness and all of that. That's not the time for that. That time is past. Now we serve one another and we love one another and we seek to be witnesses of Christ in every sphere of our lives. Amen? Then you get into 14 and 15, as we've just come out of, and you see that that uh, doesn't answer all the questions, right? Because there are ways in which we are together and we're trying to live together and we're trying to be a, a, a Christian gospel culture, gospel community, and we realize that we're not going to agree on everything. There are things that the Bible says that are very black and white, very plain. You, there's no way that you can disagree without sinning. All right, But then there are certain things that kind of fit in a different category where it's not necessarily that doing these things are sinful. It's just I can't in good conscience do these things. If I do these things, I feel guilty. Well, the scriptures tell us in 14 and 15 how we live with that because we disagree. We don't all have the same convictions. We don't have the same uh, uh, consciences, if you will. Some people go, well, I'm perfectly fine doing this. There are others going, I just simply can't do that. And, and so how do we live together? Paul used the categories of strong in faith and weak in faith and so on. And he says, 
This is how we live side by side in harmony. The name of the game is not to silo off so that we can have our creature comforts and these folks who, who rub us the wrong way, they can go over there. No, Paul does not envision a time of tribalism. But rather, this is a time where we, with our differences, put those differences aside because we love you more than we love our freedom. And we put our rights and all of these things aside for the sake of being with you because you matter more to us. The gospel and what Christ is doing in and through you matters more to us. And in so doing, Paul would say, at the, uh, uh, by the time we get to, to verse 7 of chapter 15, we are able to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's the culture that, that the Lord is seeking. That's the culture and the life that God wants for all of us is that we're able to live and love and serve and lay down our rights and lay down our, our freedoms and our creature comforts and all of these things if that's what it takes to help you become more like Jesus. This is the gospel culture. This is the gospel community. And Paul says, yeah, I realized that when I said that, I was probably, a, 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 you know, I was probably meddling a little bit. <laughs> I, I, was, I was getting into y'all's business and all of that. And I know that, that y'all have the same mindset today as, as they did back in the, uh, in the first century where they're going, why y'all got to be all up in my business, right? Why y'all got to be all up in my business telling me what to do and telling me why to, how to live my life and all of that? Why do we do this? Why do we go to our neighbors, to total strangers, and tell them this is how you're supposed to live your life? Why do we do so? Well, Paul gives us the rationale for his doing so, and I believe that his rationale ought to be our rationale. The reason that he goes reason that he engages in this type of, 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 of work and this type of mission is the same reason for us, for why we boldly go where no one has gone before. <laughs> and he gives three reasons that I see here in the text. I want us to look at this. First, we boldly serve as Christ's priests. We boldly serve as Christ's priests. Look at verse 15. Paul says, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, that rationality like me, are going, what does that mean? <laughs> what, what, what's, that, what's that? So let, let's, let's break it down a little bit. So notice he said that he's doing so because of the grace given me by God. Notice, God gives grace. He gives grace. The, the, the ability to serve the Lord, is what he's going to talk about in a bit, the ability to serve the Lord is a grace that God gives us. God gives us saving grace 
the grace to, uh, uh, to uh, that forgives us of our sins, the grace that reconciles us to God, the grace that reconciles us to one another, the grace that, that brings us into God's family as his adopted sons and daughters forever. That's, that's saving grace. But God also gives us, if you will, serving grace. The grace that enables us to serve one another. The grace that enables us to serve Christ and his mission. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He has grace by God to serve the, the gospel, as he says there. Uh, and he says that he does so to be a minister, 16, a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So notice a couple of things. First off, that word minister there is the same word that he used of the government in chapter 13. That word um, uh, there is where we get our word liturgy uh, from. It's the idea of a service, almost like a, a ministry, almost to the, to the level of priest, this kind of mediating ministry. We, God is mediating his purposes and his work through us. He's going to elaborate on that a little bit more in the next few verses, but but. Not a single mic is working. Um, but hello, can you hear me? There we go. Uh, as uh, as the Lord uh, is ruling over all things from on high, our Lord Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father, that does not mean that He is no longer working on Earth. Do you, do you get what's going on? The Lord still works on Earth. He is still very much active in His work on Earth. He works in and through us. That is the type of service that he's talking about here. We serve by God's grace in a way that when we are going and we are telling and we are sharing and and so on, it's the Lord working in us and through us accomplishing his purposes on the earth. You are, if you will, a conduit of God's grace to others and the very working of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we work and we serve uh, as priests here. He even goes on and says that we do so in the priestly service of the gospel of God. It's literally a verb. We, priest, we are priesting, if you will, the gospel of God. The word gospel of God, the phrase there is what he said back in the very first verse of the letter that he is doing his ministry for the gospel of God. The gospel of God that he revealed, uh, uh, he kept hidden before in ages, but then he revealed it through the apostles and so on. This very gospel, we are priesting it. Now you stop and you say, I don't wear that white clerical collar. Uh, I don't. I don't wear you know black shirt, black pants. You know black. I don't know if they have black socks and and black shoes and all that. But I, I I'm not a priest. I don't sit behind a curtain, you know, or anything like that. And I and I really don't walk around with a bunch of bells, ding, you know, bing uh, every single time I, I say something. You know that. What do you mean I'm a priest? Well, first off, those aren't priests in the biblical sense of what priests are. In fact, the scriptures teach that. All of us, by the time we became believers in Jesus, we all became the Lord's priests. 
You say, but I already have a priest. We've got a great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who is the once-for-all priest and so on. Yes, he is the once-for-all priest in the sense that he is the one uh, where the sacrifice for our salvation comes. He is the one who is our once-for-all sacrifice, and he is the one who intercedes for us. He is the one who perfectly mediates between God and men. We don't need another great high priest, amen? There is already one, and his name is Jesus, as we find in the book of Hebrews. But the Lord has also called for us to serve in much the same way that Israel served back in the Old Testament. In Exodus 19, the Lord uh, calls them his kingdom of priests. He makes them a royal priesthood. In other words, they are representatives of the king there for all of the world to see. They're calling through their worship, calling all nations to come and join them in the worship of the one true God as Lord over all of their lives. In 1 Peter, Peter takes that same language in Exodus 19 and he applies it to the church. He says, now you, brothers and sisters, you are the royal priesthood. We are the representatives of the king on earth right now. We who are telling our neighbors and the nations that there is a greater king, a king of kings, and a lord of lords, and we serve him. And we, through our lives, are calling people away from their false gods and away from their, their, their uh, wasted lives and so on and saying, come and live here under the one true king. In that case, we function as priests in this world. And Paul says that we are doing so, notice he says, in, in the service of the gospel of God, so that, there's a reason, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, what is this offering that, the, of the Gentiles? What, what, what is he talking about? I think he's going back to chapter 12. In chapter 12, remember, he said that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. The offering of the Gentiles is their very lives. Now, Paul is a Jew, and Paul is talking to Gentile Romans. There's some, there some Jewish folks here in the, in the Roman church and, and so on, but this is probably a majority Gentile people that he's talking to. We are a majority Gentile people. To my knowledge, I think we're almost entirely Gentile here at TCC. And so we, Paul says, I'm over here doing this ministry so that the Gentiles would present an acceptable offering to God. He writes so that we would be able to present our very lives to the Lord and that the Lord would accept our lives as a beautiful offering of worship to him. That's what he's saying here. And that's why we go. Because I don't know if you noticed this, but we ain't the only ones, are we? <laughs> there are others in your family. There are others on your block. Or, I'm sorry, that's, that's a Baltimore term. There are others in your cul-de-sac. Does that work? Yeah. There, there, there are others at the job. There are others at your school. There are others, you know, in, in, the, in, in your community and so on. There are others around the world. And here's the amazing thing. He wants them all. All. Wants them all. 
You mean to tell me that that person over in that remote jungle with the bone in his nose and the ear piercing that where his earlobe drip, you know, drops all the way down and all that, you mean to tell me he wants them? Yes, he does. You mean to tell me the ones who are over sacrificing their, 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 their children or, or even sacrificing their babies and, and, and so on in, in worship to their false gods, you mean to tell me he wants them? Yes, he does. You mean to tell me the guy over on the street corner, you know, uh, uh, passing out little bags of drugs and things like that, you mean to tell me he wants him? Yes, he does. He wants us all. You mean to tell me the guy over on Wall Street working his stocks and everything, you mean to tell me he wants, yes, he does. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, he wants the family living in there? Yes, he does. And he wants the one living in Iran, and he wants the one in Ethiopia, and he wants the one in North Korea. He wants all of us. Do you see what's going on? He wants us to get in on this. There is an offering of our lives to God to say, Lord, we are not our own, as the Heidelberg Catechism would say, but we body and soul belong to our Lord Jesus Christ. That offering is what God deserves. And we have the privilege of getting in on this and joining in and saying, what can we do to help more people hear? What can we do to help more people see? What can we do to help more people know that their lives are not their own or their lives don't belong to these creaturely gods that they've concocted, but no, they belong to the one true living God, what can we do to serve? So why do we go boldly? We do to serve as Christ's priests. Why do we do? Secondly, we do so to speak of Christ's work. Paul says in verse 17, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Look at a couple things here. Notice first, he says, I don't venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. You know, there are a lot of people who look at Christians and just think that we are the most bigoted people on earth, don't they? Y'all are so full of yourselves. You're going around telling people what to do. You're going around, you know, uh, trying, to, trying to get people to follow your standard of living and everything. Who do you think you are? But Paul says, no, this has nothing to do with who we think we are. This has everything to do with who we think the Lord is. We go and we, we tell you, and, and, and please understand, we could probably do a better job of telling right? Uh, we, we can talk in ways that, 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 that come off as really bizarre and maybe even jerkish and so on, and we need to repent of those things. We need to speak in a way that, that, that models the Lord's witness of truth and love. We've got to do that, absolutely, but we got to tell the truth. <laughs> we got to actually say these things. Why? Because of who he is, and when we do so, when we speak, we're not speaking on our behalf, but we're speaking on his behalf. And he is working in us, and he is working through us, and he's accomplishing his purposes in and through us. As he says here, Paul says, it's my work, yeah, but it's not really my work. It's what Christ is accomplishing through me, as he says in verse 18. He says, what is he doing? He's the one who's bringing the Gentiles to obedience. Verse uh, In chapter 1, uh, going all the way to the beginning there, he talks about the, uh, the obedience of faith there. Uh, in verse 5 of chapter 1, he talks about the obedience of faith. You get into the last chapter. 
the very next uh, one here in chapter 16, uh, in his little benediction at the end in verse 26, he talks about the obedience of faith as well. I think that that's really the thread that's been going through here, that this gospel of God brings about the obedience of faith. Why are we separated from the Lord? Why are we under the wrath of God? Because instead of worshiping him with lives of faithful obedience, we chose to worship the creature rather than the creature. But now Paul is saying through the gospel of God, we are able to live lives of obedience. Note, the goal of the gospel is not just to get you to conversion. The goal of the gospel is to get you to obedience. To get you to a point where your life is now living in conformity to the authority of King Jesus. We need conversion to get there. But conversion is not the end of the road. The end of the road is living transformed lives, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, as he says in verse 16 here. We, he says, this is the work of Christ in me and through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. How do I know? Well, because it comes by word and deed. In other words, my obedience is not just lip service. I'm not just saying these things, but I'm actually experiencing the transformation of life that the gospel produces. He says, That's something that only Christ can do through me. Christ is the one who is bringing about that, that obedience in word and that obedience in deed. We got a lot of people that can talk, a lot of people that can talk, but you look at their lives and you go, but I'm not seeing the fruit of the life. I'm not seeing the actual transformation there. Christ accomplishes word and deed obedience. Notice it also comes by the power of signs and wonders. Paul living in that time, he, there were miracles that were happening there. There were, there were extraordinary moves of God that were happening in those days. Do those things happen today? Yes, they happen today. <laughs> absolutely, our Lord still works signs and wonders today. Yes, our Lord absolutely does extraordinary things. Let me talk about one miracle that God has done on a regular basis that we don't tend to talk about as much as a sign of wonder. Have you ever met someone who was dead in sin? Have you ever met someone who had been separated from God? Have you ever met someone when you see the look on their face, you realize this person couldn't care less about the things of God and about the work of Christ and all of that. And then all of a sudden, they're hearing the gospel and the lights come on. And all of a sudden, here they are listening to what the Lord has done and listening to how he has accomplished their salvation. And all of a sudden, their hearts are starting to warm. This heart of stone all of a sudden becomes replaced with a heart of flesh. And all of a sudden, they're hearing what God is doing in Christ. And they say, I want him to be my savior. And in that moment, they move from death to life. They move from darkness to light. They move from one who has been far away from the Lord to one who is now a son and a daughter in the family of God. That is the greatest miracle that we can, that we can see in our day. That is the miracle of God. That's the sign and the wonder and so on that happens, to, uh, it happens among us and around us all the time. Yes, the Lord is doing that. Is he doing, is it my work and what I'm doing? Is it because I'm such a great uh, preacher of the gospel? Or No, it's because Christ is working through you to accomplish his great work. And notice he says that it is not just the, by, by word and deed, by signs and wonders. He says, it's by the power of the Spirit of God. You have God in you. 
And this God who is working in you is the same God who's working through you to bring other people to Christ. That's why we go. That's why we go. Because we want to see more and more and more of Christ at work in the world. Jesus can work in your home. Did you hear that? You've got the chaos and all that that's going on. Maybe God has put you in that family (laughs) so that you would be the one through whom the Lord would unleash his work. He put you on that job. You say, I hate my job. Well, maybe he put you in that job so that he would unleash his power through you in that job. You say, I don't like my neighborhood. I want to move out of here and everything. It's just people all over the place. What we don't have in our neighborhood are neighbors. (laughs) It's more hood than neighbor. Hey, guess what? You are in that place so that the Lord would move through you in that neighborhood. You are here for the work of Christ. That's your mission field. Go. Tell of what Christ is able to do. And show through your life that you are a living, breathing example of the work of Christ. This is what he's capable of. So we boldly serve as Christ's priests. We boldly speak of Christ's work. And lastly, we boldly spread for Christ's name. Look what he says in verse 20. Let me, let me read the last part of 19. He says, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And now verse 20, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And he's drawing this from the scriptures in Isaiah 52, 15. It says, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. We boldly go. We go to the places where Christ has yet to be named. We go and we spread the gospel. Why do we go to countries like Moldova? Why do we go to places like East Asia? Why do we serve in the Middle East? Why do we go towards war-torn areas? We go because there are people there who need to hear the gospel of Christ. But please, let's be careful. We have our, um, our, our uh, official definitions of unreached and unengaged, and they're good definitions. When we talk in terms of missions, we say, hey, you know, there are people uh, in places where there is next to no uh, hearing of the gospel. There's no Bible in their language. There's no church on their block. There are little to no Christians in their people group and so on. These folks are unreached. They're unengaged and so on. And that's the definition that we'll use internationally. And that's fine. That's cool. That works uh, and serves its purpose. But please understand that you don't have to go to Afghanistan to find someone who has no idea who Jesus is. You you realize that, right? There are, if we could just redefine this a little bit, there are unreached people in your neighborhood. 
We realized that in our, in our own family. We, uh, we had uh, some neighbor kids all over the place. They all come, and, and, and by God's grace, they all knock on our door and ring our doorbell every day. And, um, and they, they do so, and I, and I love it sometimes. And, um, you know, they all come over, can, 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 can the kids come out and play? Can they come out? Yeah, they can go out and play. Go on. Just don't break anything. And, uh, and so they do, and they go out and everything. But we, we have that. We love that. But it's also an opportunity to bring them in so that we can talk about Jesus. Some of them are believers. Some of them go to different churches in the area. Uh, but, but the vast majority of them are not believers. In fact, the ones who live closest to us, uh, we actually have talked uh, to them during Easter season. We've talked to them during Christmas season. And we realized that we were the first ones to ever tell them that Easter and Christmas were about Jesus. They had no idea. They had no idea that Easter and Christmas were religious holidays. <laughs> They're telling the story of the, of the birth of, uh, and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They'd never heard this before. Their parents aren't church-going people, uh, and so they don't go to church. And we were the first Christians to ever share the gospel with them. You don't have to go all the way across the world to find an unreached people group. You may have an unreached people group in the house right next door to you. You have the opportunity, the great privilege by God, to share the gospel with them. But the good news is we not only have to share the gospel with our neighbors, but we do need to go to the nations. There are people and peoples everywhere. Folks who are, who are serving other gods. Folks who aren't serving any god at all. They're just kind of living and doing their own thing. Folks who are caught in their kind of tribal deities and their tribal religions and so on. And, and folks who are worshiping the ancestors and folks who are worshiping the stars. And folks who are doing all kinds of things and going in all kinds of different directions except towards the one true living God. We have a mission right here in our community and we have a mission to go to the ends of the earth and tell of what the Lord has done. Why do we do this? <laughs> why, do we, why do we gather our money and our resources and even take hours and days and weeks of time where we could be at work, but instead we're going off to mission trips and things like that? Why do we do all of these things? Well, we do so as servants, fulfilling the priestly work that the Lord has given to us in this world. We do so so that we can speak and tell of what Christ is capable of all around the world. And we do so so that the name of Christ, the name and the fame of Christ will spread beyond this room and these people to go all through our neighborhoods and all across the nations. There is good news. So, <laughs> earth <laughs> is our final frontier. These are the voyages of treasuring Christ church. Our mission until Jesus comes back, let's go beyond five years. Our mission until Jesus comes back is to explore strange new worlds 
our neighborhoods and communities and all the countries and nations abroad to seek out new lives and new civilizations to tell them about Jesus and to make his name known and to boldly go where no man has gone before. May he send us to the hood. May he send us to the sticks. May he send us to the far reaches of the earth. May he send us right across the street. But wherever we go, may we go boldly, making much of Jesus Christ, that others may know, that others may hear, that others may join us in our joy. Let's pray. So, Father, I ask that you would indeed do a mighty work among us. Just as you raised up Paul to go to the Gentiles, Lord, you have called us to go. You have called us to partner with other churches in planting new churches. You've raised up even some among us to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. And even if you have not raised us up to go, you have raised us up to send. So Lord, I pray that we would be faithful. That we would see our lives as on mission for Christ. The one who boldly came. The one who could have stayed right in his place, in your presence, with the angels and so on. But instead, seeing our need, he came. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And because he came, we go. We go.